when we consider who God is, we do stand in awe Amen. of Him. Do we not? We think of what He's done for us and what He continues to do for us every day, even the cold days, right? Yeah. You guys are from Michigan. You know, you do not put your coats away, right? We're fine. We're fine. God is an awesome God. And I don't know about you, but I've been able to reflect more and more on that as I've studied the book of Romans. Haven't you? The awesomeness of God and the salvation that He provides for us. We're finishing up chapter 13 today in uh, Romans. Nearing the end of the book. Can you believe that? And uh, so here we are in the book of Romans, studying what matters most to us, like the gospel that means so much to us. Again, for, for those who might be catching up uh, right now, just to, so you know where we're at in the book of Romans, we began with the doctrines of, what is it? Sin. Sin, very, very good. We, we began with the doctrine of sin, and we understand why God is just to forgive us of our sins. But we thank the Lord because then He has provided what for us? Salvation. Salvation, very good. And, and we learned that salvation comes by grace through faith, not of works. And that begins a process of? Sanctification, very good, where, where, where Christ, uh, we can uh, become more and more like Christ. And God changes us from the inside out. But during that time, we have a sense of security. Why? Because we don't have to worry about losing that salvation. Amen. We're sons and daughters of God. And uh, uh, what a beautiful thought that is and the confidence that gives us to continue forward. And then we talk about the, the, the process of selection. And the idea there is how God draws people to himself and how we have to respond through faith. Not through work, but we respond through faith. And then we see what we're saved to. What, are we, what is it supposed to look like? Uh, we call it the we'll call it service. The service that we're saved to. And we, we talk about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We've talked about love, what it looks like in the church, what it looks like outside of the church. We talked last week about how love is the fulfillment of the law. And this week we'll stay on the topic of love, but it's with the sense of urgency that Paul uh, takes us uh, into the, the, the topic of, of love. So let's uh, pull out our Bibles and get into to Romans chapter 13, and we'll read the last four verses of, of chapter 13. Verse 11. And do this. Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Wow, this, these four verses, there's a lot in there, right? I know we're only covering four verses today, but there's a lot in these four verses, and it's a wake-up call, isn't it? It is a wake-up call that he's calling us, uh, uh, that he's calling us to do. But if we're honest, don't we all hate wake-up calls? Don't you? I don't know about you, but but I like, in fact, I try to put some kind of, uh, I don't like the alarms that just go, rah, rah, rah. Yeah, that is an annoying sound, right? That's why I'll stop. <laughs> it's an annoying sound. I, I like to have something that's a little bit more mellow, a little something that'll kind of wake me up slowly. Anyone else here like me? 
Alright, yeah, most of you, right? In fact, I took one of my favorite uh, songs uh, by a group called Sanctus Real, and it's a song called Run, and, uh, and I like it because the words start off with, wake up, oh my soul, you've been sleeping far too long, wake up, oh my soul, and, and so that's how I wake up every day, right? And you know what? I hate that song now. <laughs> I hate it, right? It's, it wakes me up because I know, I don't, I don't, I just, there's, a, there's an internal aversion to the song now, and I want to get it turned off as quick as possible, so it works, so I leave it there, right? uh, But most of the time, we don't like to be, to be woken up, right? It's just not, it's not our, our nature to, to want to wake up early, and, and uh, we, we just we tend to hate that, but this is definitely a wake-up call, is it not? In fact, uh, let's look again at verse, uh, verses 11 through 12a. And look at what, what Paul says. And do this. Before we go any further, what's this? Well, remember what we studied back in, uh, in, in last week in verse 10? We ended with love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So he's saying, do this. Love. We have to put on love. Do this knowing that the time now, or that uh, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up, church. You know, why? Because we need to be aware of the time. He goes on to say, For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So everything that we, we, we talk about in salvation, Paul didn't know when the day was. It could have happened in his lifetime for all he knew. But everything that, that, that we look forward to in salvation, he's saying, that, that time, wherever it is in time, it's closer now than it was when you first believed. Right? And, uh, and, and so it, uh, Paul is saying, time's ticking here, right? Then he goes on to say, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. And so if there's this analogy that Paul is making, Paul's like, life is like a day. And, and there's so much to accomplish in life. And he's saying, but the sun's up and you're still in bed, right? He's saying, wake up, it is time. Why? Because there are a lot of things to do today. Uh, a lot of things. But sometimes I think if we were to compare life to a single day, some of us would treat life like a lazy Saturday morning. Anyone else know who take advantage of lazy Saturday mornings? Saturday mornings, I've had a, a couple of busy weeks where I even had things on Saturday morning. But yesterday, I didn't have anything scheduled Saturday morning. So I slept in for an extra two hours, I'll be honest. Right? I slept in until 8 o'clock in the morning. That's... I mean, sleeping. Anyone else sleeping later than that? So, <laughs> no one's going to admit that, right? right. Uh, and so, so uh, why? Because I didn't have things scheduled. There was, I didn't have a wedding later on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and a couple things I wanted to get done during the day, but for the most part, I, I had the day off, which was kind of nice. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need that. In fact, the Bible commands us to, have to, to take the Sabbath, right? To take a day, the day of rest. But that's not the day I think that Paul's talking about here. I think he's talking about the other days. Right? I think that when we look at our life as a day, I think it should be a little bit more like, like Christmas Day if you have kids in your house. Right? For those of you who have had, had kids in your house, Christmas Day, how early does that day usually start? Yeah, it starts super early. Why? Because the kids are saying, there's a lot to do today, Dad. There's a lot to do today, Mom. So, so like, hey, Dad, it's light out. Son, you know, that's, that's, that's the neighbor's light, porch light. You know, that's, that's not time to get up. I remember, anyone remember those days when you were kids? 
And why, well, you know what? Our life should be look, looking a little bit more like that Christmas day where we say, this is a big day. We've got a lot to do. Because you know what? All eternity hangs on what happens in this lifetime that we have. Isn't that true? And when you compare this life that we have to eternity, this is just a short day. Right? This is just a short day. And Paul is telling wake up because time is ticking. Time is ticking. It's daylight. Um, let's look at what he, what he continues to say there in the second half, verse 12. If you're following along. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here we find this, this analogy. And this is the, the words that he used. He gives us the analogy of, of changing your clothes. That's the analogy. Hopefully that's what we, we did this morning, right? We slept in one set of clothes or something, and we, we changed before we came to church, right? Why? Because it's daytime. It's not appropriate to stay in, uh, in what we were, were wearing. So he uses the analogy of changing your clothes. Now, first of all, he starts off with saying cast off, right? There's two different typical words in Greek that they use for, 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 for undressing. And one, it basically you mean take off. That's how we would translate it, right? Take off. Then there's another word which we find here, which is cast off. Cast off is like that, right? <laughs> there's a difference. There, there's, a, there's a sense of urgency that goes with this word. There's a sense of almost a, a sense of disgust that goes with it. Like, there's, like, this is not what I should be wearing. And so you're, you're glad to take it off. Uh, my son came home from a track meet Friday and sat right next to me on the couch and, and I said, son, you need to take off that, those clothes, right? And go take a shower and then go back and greet me, right? Uh, why? Because it, it, when you run, you, you sweat and the clothes are gross. And they, that's the sense of the word that we can hear. Cast these things off because there's some sense of disgust involved. Does that make sense? And so right here, it tells us to cast off the works of darkness. And, and there's a sense of urgency and disgust. And then it tells us to put on the armor of light. Well, what's the armor of light in the context? It's a light of love. Saying, but do this, do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to put on this armor of light. And when you think about that, that tells us that, that there's going to be battle involved. It's not going to be easy to love people all the time. Isn't that true? And that's why it says armor. You don't wear armor to go grocery shopping. Right? When do you wear armor? To go into battle. Sometimes love is going to be a battle. And he's telling you, put on the armor of light. And so here we see this day, night, dark, light contrast going on uh, in, in this text. And he's telling us, it, if we're going to live in the light, we need to put on the armor of light which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the light is the selfless love. We call it agape love uh, a couple weeks ago. And then the darkness would be the selfishness. It's, it's living for yourself. And, uh, and so today, I'd like us to look at three evidences that you might be living in the dark. Now, by this, I want to clarify, before we even talk about what those three evidences are, what I'm not saying is three evidences that you're unsaved. Now, this could give you three evidences that you might not be saved, and by all means, if you're not saved, today is the day. Amen? 
But here, he's talking to believers, and he's waking them up, saying, saying you're believers, it's, it's just that you're living in the dark, and you're living as if it's still nighttime, when, when, when you should be outside, if there's things to do. And, and that's why, I don't know if you can see the picture too well, but it's dark, and there's light outside, but you're inside this dark room. Right? You used to have one of those rooms where if you really wanted to sleep in, in the morning, you'd sleep in that room that was in the basement because there were no windows. All you have to do is close the door, and it was pitch black. And, uh, and for whatever reason, anyone who slept in there would sleep in. Right? Makes sense. And so there are three evidences that we find in this text for, that would show that we were, were living in the dark. It's light outside, but you're still in bed, and there's work to be done. Let's look at what, uh, what Paul said in verse 13. We read, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Here we find six descriptions. They're, they're, they're formed together in a grammatical construct to put them in three groups of, of, of two. So that's the way the grammar is set up. And they did that uh, in English as well, so you can see it. Uh, we're to walk properly as in the day. Then the first one we find, not in revelry and Drunkenness, comma, not in lewdness and lust, comma, and not in strife and envy, period. So we find these three different groups of two things. And so in these, uh, we find two descriptions of each of these. And, uh, and so we're going to take a look at the first one. The first one is not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in revelry and drunkenness. You know, the, the word revelry, you can find several different definitions for it. But in layman's terms, it means to party without a purpose. <laughs> That's what revelry is. Party without a purpose. When I was at uh, Baptist Bible College, the closest other university to us was Scranton University. And so oftentimes we would go to Scranton University for a, part of, a requirement for one of our classes and uh, called Evangelism Explosion. And we would go and we'd start conversations and and we just start talking to people about Jesus Christ. And, um, and so uh, you'd make friends with people there. And, and I remember multiple times, but I, I remember one time in particular, someone invited me to a party at And uh, said, yeah, there's a party on Friday night if you want to come to it. And, uh, and I said, oh, a party, cool. What are you guys celebrating? And he looked at me like, like a deer in the headlights. Like, like it's Friday. <laughs> like, what's so good? I mean, what is it? It's not good Friday. I mean, no one that's coming, right? And, and what's going on? And he's like, it's just Friday. And, and, and I said, well, what are you celebrating on Friday? He says, we're celebrating that the next day is Saturday. <laughs> what's so special about Saturday? There's no classes. We can sleep in. Okay, so you're celebrating. You're going to stay up all night to celebrate the fact that you can sleep the next day. Yes. And, and it's party with, without not a real purpose, right? And, and, uh, and so we, we have revelry, but you, you put that word together with drunkenness, and it gives you a, a little bit more complete picture of what he's talking about here. In fact, uh, I didn't go to the party, but if I had go, gone to the party, you could see that part of the goal of revelry was what? It was drunkenness, which is why they slept in, and it was not a fun morning for most of them, And so there's this, this concept of of revelry and, and drunkenness and partying. And, and so I would put it this way. This is why I would word it. And when I look at three evidences that you're living in the dark, it's when you put pleasures over purpose. When you put pleasures over 
purpose. You know, drunkenness is condemned in Scripture all from, from Genesis to Revelation, right? Drunkenness is condemned. Why is that? Is that because a lot of people have fun while they're drunk and God hates it when we have fun? Is that what it is? Absolutely not. It's, it's not that at all. But drunkenness tends to reduce your discernment and cause you to forget about your purpose for being here. And those are the two main purposes of drunkenness. It's to reduce your discernment and to forget your purpose in life. You drink to forget, right? All the things that you're there, why you're in college in the first place. And you take all those things. And, 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 uh, and that's not a wise way to live your life. In fact, there was a king who was passing on wisdom to his son who would become king. And he wrote these words. We find them in Proverbs chapter 31. Verses 4 or 5. And he wrote, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and what? And forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. What's he saying? Oh, son, don't get into that scene. Why? Because you will forget why you're here. You will forget why God gave you this position as a king. Your job is to provide justice. It's to serve the people. It's to make sure the afflicted are taken care of. You know what? You become a drunkard, and guess what? You'll forget why you're here, and it's going to become about pleasures instead of your purpose. That's wise advice from one king to another. What happens when we put pleasures over purpose? We see another example in Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 21. Uh, Father says to his son, Hear my son, be wise. And guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine bitters or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. What's he getting at here? That it's more than just about drinking. It's a lifestyle of when you put your, your pleasures over your purpose, and it can be it can be drunkenness, it can be gluttony. Uh, by the way, gluttony it does not just re- refer to food, right? Gluttony is when, when you, do, you participate in something that is going to give you the short-term joy right now without thinking about the long-term consequences. Isn't that what gluttony is? A lot of skinny gluttons. Sometimes I'm wrong, right? Why? Because sometimes my priorities get messed up. I forget why I'm here. And I'm here because of the pleasure that it brings me. And I'll tell you what, if we're honest, I think a lot of us would have to say we're there. Right? We need a wake-up call. We're there. We, we strive for things so that we can enjoy this life. I've got news for you. This life is short. We're not here to enjoy it. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go do fun things. But if that becomes the purpose, then we've got a problem, right? Uh, and, and in fact, I would say there's nothing wrong with pleasures. But when they override our purpose, we will ultimately lose both. Isn't that true? Pleasures become meaningless. Become meaningless. And he said in the drowsiness leads to poverty. What's he saying? You know, you, you become lazy. When it's just about yourself. Like Abraham Lincoln once said, uh, 
to the lazy man will never know the joy of the future. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? You lose the joy even in the things that you seek joy out of because there's no purpose, there's no meaning to it. That's what happens when we put our pleasures over our purpose. And Paul is saying as a wake-up call, saying, that's living in the dark, folks. Live in the light. Come on out into the light. It's uncomfortable at first, yes, as it is any time you walk out of a dark room. Isn't that uncomfortable? Your, your eyes just, oh, man, it's bright. But give yourself a little time to realize, hey, this is better. This is better. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, let's look at the, at the second one. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. The second one, not in lewdness and lust. Not in lewdness and lust. <clears throat> I, would put, I, would, I would word the second one here. The first one is you put pleasures over purpose. The, the, or the first one. The second one would be you put desires over directives. Let me explain that for a moment. The word lust, what does that mean? It simply means a, a, a strong or a base desire. Right? It's a base desire that we have. And then you couple that with the word lewdness, and we get a bigger picture of what he's talking about here. Lewdness is when you make something sacred common. That's what the word means. When you take something that is sacred, something that God weighs very heavily, and you treat it like it's something common, that's lewd. That is lewd. Um, there's an entire book in the Old Testament, if you, if you want to study this further on your own time. It, uh, it's called Leviticus. And the majority of that book walks into what's the difference between the holy or the sacred and the common. And he makes a very strong distinction between the things that are sacred and the things that are common. Uh, it's a fantastic study. But there are things in, the, in God's word that he says, these, these are heavy things. And we don't, shouldn't treat it like it's a common thing. I'll give a couple of examples. One, how about the, the word hell? Is hell a significant thing in Scripture? Is it a, is it a serious matter? Yes, it is. So if I were to take that and just use it in my vocabulary like it means nothing, you know, just I, I finish the sentence what the with it, then what am I doing to that word? I'm, I'm mistreating it. Why? Because it's heavy. It's something sacred. I'm treating it like it's common. Does that make sense? So that's why we avoid certain words. It's not because culture comes up with a list of okay words and already words, PG words and G words. I throw off those lists. I'll let this tell me how to speak, right? And, and, and so I looked at that in a completely different way. How about, how about sex? Sex is sacred, isn't it? In Scripture, sex is a beautiful thing that exists for a man and a woman who, who have been bonded Bind together by him through a vow of exclusivity that we call marriage, right? Yesterday we got to see that happen for, many, for many of us who were there at a wedding for, for two of our own. And that's an exciting thing. And we celebrate that together. Jesus celebrated that. His first miracle was, a, was at a wedding feast. And, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a sacred thing. But then what does the world do? The world takes that very same gift of God and treats it like it's something common. Right? Like, it's just what everybody does. Like, it's just a way to relax or this or that. Stress your No, it's an expression. It has meaning. And God gave it meaning. I'll go beyond that and say, take, take nakedness and nudity, right? 
The Bible, every time that you find nakedness in the, in the scriptures, outside of the context of marriage, it's always associated with the word shame. Every time. It's a shameful thing. Why? Because it's outside of its context. But then today, what does the world do to nakedness and nudity? It's everywhere. Isn't it? I remember one of my kids coming to me and said, Dad, I saw on the thing there's a show. Uh, uh, it says it's a survival, survival show, and it's called Naked and Afraid. Do they really mean naked? So I explained to her, no, I'm sure what they mean by that is just that you don't have all of your gear to sort of survive here. You have to survive. You know what? She was right. I mean, a, a, a TV show that puts two strangers together without any clothes, what's the point of that? It's lewd. That's why. You take something precious that God has given meaning to, and guess what? You treat it like it's common. Two strangers? Why? You can't get any more common than that. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and so that's lewd. And, and, and Paul is saying, don't live in lewdness and lust. Don't live that way. In fact, cast it off. Cast it off. And I think if we're honest, there's probably many of us in here who need to change some viewing habits. Right? Because there are things that God has a sacred and not. Cast it off. Let's look again at the, the verse, the, the, the last one. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in illness and lust, not in strife and envy. Not in strife and envy. I put for the third evidence that you're living in the dark is that you put your rights over relationships. You put your rights over relationships. When you think of the word envy, what does it mean? It means you want something that belongs to someone else, right? Whether it's, a, whether it's an object that they have, whether it's a job that they have, whether it's a spouse that they have, whether it's just circumstances that they're under, their health, their good looks, whatever. Somebody else has something and you envy that. You want it. And then strife, what is that? That's fighting them to get it. Right? You fight them to get your way. This, this concept of putting your relationships over here, right? That's counterintuitive, isn't it? This is what Christ has called us to do. By nature, this is the way we are. I remember when I was young, I had a neighbor, his name was Derek, and we used to play together, uh, and uh, when his parents would work, and, and uh, uh, especially in the summer, he had, they had a nanny that would come over, that would come over and, and watch him and his, his brother, so I would go over, and we were playing with these little action figures, and we both happened to have the same Superman action figure, Anyone else remember those days when you had action figures? So all you're playing with with your thumbs and everything, you actually used your hands. And, uh, and, so, and so we're playing with these action figures, and, and I set mine down, and, and, uh, and at one point, and he, he grabbed mine, and he's playing, and he picked it up, and, he's, and he went on. So I didn't think too much of it, because I figured out he's got one, I'll grab his. The difference between us is that I didn't have a younger brother, I was the youngest, he had a younger brother. So when I picked up his, his younger brother played with his before, and the arm was, was broken. So I go to play, and I move his arm, and I'm like, hey, Derek, the arm on your, on your action figure is broken. Well, the nanny saw that, and she didn't see the whole story, so she just thought that I, broke my, I had broken the arm. 
right? And she thought I'd broken the arm that I was trying to get his for myself, right? And, uh, and so she told me that I, I know, Dave, that's yours. You, you have to take that one home. That's what, that's what, and I was mad. And so I went home and I ran to my mom, expecting her to become my legal advocate. March back over there and convince them that mine was the unbroken toy. But instead, my mom, in all of her wisdom, said, Dave, and I'll never forget this, she said, friends are worth more than toys. Simple as that. And here I was, six or seven years old, learning a lesson that sometimes I still forget, that friends are worth more than toys. You know, that was an important lesson, but you know, it's our nature. We want our way. We want things to be done the way we want them to be done. And we want our preferences. By the way, this leads right into chapter 14. Because if you don't grasp this concept at the end of chapter 13, chapter 14 is going to be really tough. All right? Um, but there, this concept here of putting relationships over rights. And he goes on to say that not only are, should we not live like this, but then how should we live? We find in the second half of verse 12. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We put on the armor of light. And then Paul transitions into verse 14. Uh, I'll read the first half of verse 14. And he tells us what that means. To put on the armor of light, but put on the Lord Jesus. You want to know what it looks like, what we're supposed to put on? What we're supposed to put on is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word to put on is just simple. Just put it on, right? Oh, I thought my, my uh, microphone there. There we go. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, how are we supposed to love our neighbors ourselves? We can't really. But we can put Jesus Christ on it. He can through us. Right? And so, how, what's the armor of light? We act like Jesus Christ would have acted. I remember when we was a fan for a while. I put those bands on that say WWJD. You know, it's more than... I don't have a problem with that. I think it's great. It, as long as it's not a fan to us. Right? Don't let that go in and out. That's the way we should live our life. How would Jesus treat this person? Right? What would Jesus do in this case? And I'm going to do that. Why? Because of what he did for me. We put on Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we're called to do. And we need to wake up. Because I don't think we're all living exactly like Jesus. In fact, I'd say none of us are, have succeeded completely, including myself, to live like Jesus would have, right? Anyone thinks, oh, no, I got that one down, Pastor Dave. No application for me today. <laughs> no. I'm going to be honest. I wrestled with this all week long. So with us all week long, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if we did? What if we switched all of those priorities and we lived with a purpose? We followed the directives that God's given us, and we loved people like Jesus did. Imagine what that would do. Imagine if we put on Christ and we showed. People. This is what we're really called to do, to show people the same love that Christ showed to us when he died on the cross. Even while they were crucified, and what did he say? 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'll tell you what, someone breaks an arm on my toy, and I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> That's my nature. But because of what Christ did for me, because of what Christ does for us, we can love those who do a lot worse than that. Amen? I'll tell you what, we are going to see a need to put this into practice, knowing the time, because we look at where our culture is, our culture does not like us anymore. Right? Our culture doesn't like us anymore. And, and you know what? That's going to give us an opportunity to show real, genuine love to people. It's going to give us, uh, we're going to be able to show a real, genuine love. You know, that changes things. That changes things. This is our purpose. Our directive is to be selfless. And relationships are everyone around us. Now Paul ends this chapter with a caution in, this, in the last part of verse 14. Says, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This tells us something. This tells us that it's not going to be easy and that we will always be fighting temptations. Isn't that true? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just say, Lord, I pray that you would just get rid of all my sinful desires and so I'll always do what is right from, from now on. Wouldn't that be awesome? Of course, there's no growth in that. There's no stretching our faith. But God knows what he's doing. There's a reason why we, we, we struggle with the things we struggle with first. There are a lot of lessons to be learned along the way. But this is the reality is we, even if we have purest of intents right now, we will have occasion to fall back into the old ways. How do we avoid that? We make no provision for the flesh. We make no provision for the flesh. In other words, we, we don't give it an opportunity. Right? That's what that means. Um, we, so we need to ask ourselves three things, three simple questions. Number one, we ask, what are my weak points? What are my weak points? You know, there are certain weak points that every single one of us have because we're human. Right? But there are also weak points that you might have because of your history. And every single one of us is a little bit different. And you might have to ask yourself, what are my weak points? Uh, what are my recurrent sins? That's a good, good way to answer that question. Right? What are the sins that I keep, I keep finding myself falling into? Anyone ever have a stubborn sin, I call them, where you, you think you conquer and then it, it comes back and you say, where, where did that come from? Right? And, uh, and you have these sons of recurrent sins. What are my weak points? So then we ask, well, when, where will I most be tempted? Right? When, when, where will I most be tempted? And then lastly, how can I avoid giving opportunities to fall into that sin? Yeah, so there, there's some, some sins are common to us all, and there are places and situations that every single one of us should avoid giving. But some sins are specifically hard for individuals, given their history, and they need to go above and beyond in that area. And so we have to find our areas of weakness. What's yours? What's yours? You know, there, there are times where we have to say, you know what, maybe someone else can do this, but I can't do that. Why? Because I can't be around that. I think I shared uh, an example of, um, in recent weeks of uh, when I was in Costa Rica, uh, there was a faster way to get from my house to the school where I take the kids to school. And, and someone told me, well, I got stuck in traffic at such and such a place. And I said, well, you could, if you just took such and such a way, 
Their streets didn't have names there, so you have to tell them, you have to describe the routes. It's crazy. And, uh, and, I, and he said, oh, I, I don't go that way. And later on I asked, well, why don't you go that way? It's, it is definitely the faster way. I've tried both ways, and I save two or three minutes every day. And he said, well, it's because there's a lingerie store right there, and they put, they put the posters really big. I, 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 I struggled with that. No, I respect him for that. Why? What's he doing? He's obeying Romans 13, 14b. He's not making provision for the flesh. He knows right there is an easy place for him to fall into temptation so he goes a different route. And if we're all honest, don't we all have other routes that we need to be taking in some way in our life? Right. There are things in our lives that we say, this is a sin I keep falling into. It doesn't have to be lust. It could be pride. It could be, uh, it could be anything. I'm going to have to avoid the areas. It could be anger. I'm going to have to avoid certain things. It could be whatever, whatever it is. Agreed. Some of you might need to hire someone else to do your taxes because you're used to cheating on your taxes. Right? So make no provision to get someone else to do your taxes for you. Whatever it might be, we need to find those, those weak areas. So how can I avoid that? What does that mean? Make no provision for the flesh. And that's how Paul ends this chapter. A couple of questions for you. What about you? Four quick questions. And we'll have an opportunity to respond. Number one, have you put pleasures over purpose in your life? Have you put desires over the directives that God has given you? Or rights over relationships? Since we're here to reach people for Christ. Secondly, are you disgusted when you do? Remember, there's an element to disgust when we cast off the works of darkness. There's an element of urgency and, and disgust. Are you disgusted when you do? Because if so, right now is the time to cast them off. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Don't worry about what anyone else is thinking. Just come forward between you and God and just cast those sins at the altar. And he will forgive you. Not only will he forgive you, he will cleanse you. And he'll help you overcome it. Thirdly, what sins have been reoccurring in your life? Let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. Don't let me preach to you. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. What are the sins that are recurrent in your life that need to change? And lastly, what plans will you make to avoid that temptation? If the Lord's speaking to you in any of these areas, then He's about to give you a revival in your own heart. He's offering it to you. But you have to be willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to confess these things to you. I'm willing to cast the force of darkness put on Jesus Christ in his place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again. Thank you for the way the way you don't let us continue in our sin without exposing it. That's not what light is about. Living in the light means our sins are exposed. Lord, that is not comfortable, but it is best. So Lord, I pray right now, even as I'm praying, that the Holy Spirit would enter into to many people here right now and convict them. The 
Holy Spirit's already there, but I just pray that He would convict each of us of areas in our lives where we have been living in darkness instead of living in the light. I pray that you would impress this upon our hearts so strongly right now that we would forget everyone around us. And as we sing in just a few moments, we would come forward, confess those sins to you, and walk out of here with a clear conscience and our heads held high.